Welcome to A Head Full of Ideas, a Bob Dylan podcast, and this is Chris Gregory. I spent the last couple of years of my life writing a book called Determined to Stand, The Reinvention of Bob Dylan. And this is a study of Bob Dylan's later years. It includes analyses of all the songs from Time Out of Mind onwards up to Rough and Rowdy Ways, and includes a lot of reflection on the importance of Bob Dylan's never-ending tour. You can find more details about the book at my website, chrisgregory.org. That's Chris Gregory, or one word. And you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter if you look for From the Pen of Chris Gregory, which is the name of my website. Any feedback is gratefully received. And if you want to take part in a future version of this podcast, just get in touch there and let me know. So I'm going to read an extract from Determined to Stand today, in which I'm analysing the song Lovesick. Time Out of Mind is a collection of bluesy songs which are focused on themes of romantic regret, despair and revenge. When the album was released, many commentators immediately decided that, as with Blood on the Tracks, Dylan must have been through a life-changing breakup of a relationship. There is, however, little biographical evidence for this. The album features a series of first-person appeals to lovers, but we learn virtually nothing about the character of any of these women. The main focus is always on the state of mind of the singer. Dylan's expressions of romantic disillusionment represent the despair a poet feels when his inspiration has apparently drained away. He allows us into the depths of his deep inner struggle to regain this inspiration. The songs can thus be seen as being directed not at real women, but to his elusive muse. In performance, disguised in his song and dance man persona, in his cowboy threads with his cowboy band, he delivers these songs with a mixture of foreboding and a comic, self-deprecating edge. The opening track, Lovesick, is an intense psychological self-examination of a dark emotional world. Its identification of the sickness of love with a sickness of the spirit sets the tone for the whole album. The first austere metronomic beats are followed by a startlingly deep gravelly and echoey vocal quite different to anything previously heard on a Dylan record. The lyrics are bitter and stark, as if they've been honed and chiselled to remove all extraneous matter. I'm walking, Dylan begins ominously. There are three regular beats before he growls through streets that are dead. More beats than I'm walking with you in my head. This is a highly striking twist on the typically repetitive opening of a blues song. The spaces between the words seem to suggest much that is unspoken, building up an almost unbearable tension. The slow rhythm suggests the beating of an uncertain heart. My feet are so tired, Dylan proclaims with world-weary grace. My brain is so wired and the clouds are weeping. The personification of nature in the last image recalls lines from Keats's Ode to Melancholy. But when the melancholy fit shall fall, sudden from heaven like a weeping cloud, as well as Bardolph's description of a hopeless enterprise in Henry IV Part Two, Scene Three, a naked subject to the weeping clouds. 
This is set against the rather startling use of wired, a very modern expression of mental confusion, which graphically represents how stressed out many people feel in an electronic age. The song's narrator then draws the listener into the scene, addressing us directly. Did I? he asks us, leaving that regular pause again. Hear someone tell a lie? Did I? Hear someone's distant cry? He sounds infinitely desolate, but the fact that he has to ask his listeners to verify the reality of what has happened prepares us for the sudden shift into his memories, where innocence and cruelty are juxtaposed. I spoke like a child. You destroyed me with a smile while I was sleeping. The precise diction and strict rhyme scheme are maintained as a deeply tragic sense of betrayal is evoked. The sense of a life lived in pain and frustration is agonisingly conveyed, as if the singer is King Lear on the heath, bewailing his fate. In later live versions, the lyrics strongly suggest that the betrayal has been carried out by a younger lover. At a show in Tokyo on 3rd of April 2014, Dylan sings, You were young and you were wild, you looked at me and smiled. I felt like my whole life I'd been sleeping. In Oklahoma City on the 3rd of May 2015, the first two lines are You thrill me to the heart, and then you ripped it all apart. The song is so direct and so apparently unromantic that it is clear that the narrator is examining the nature of love itself and is doing so with what seems, at least at first, to be a kind of clinical precision. As Dylan spits out the tongue-twisting lines that constitute the first chorus, I'm sick of love, but I'm in the thick of it. This kind of love, I'm so sick of it. He seems to be describing himself as, like the narrator of Broke Down Engine, a kind of wrecked machine. The very sound of the internal rhymes, sick, thick, and sick, again, convey a very real sense of being trapped in self-disgust. Yet the narrator cannot escape the consequences of his involvement. He is being sucked down into a kind of slough of despond, a pilgrim who is making no progress at all. His utter disillusionment with the seemingly toxic force he calls love seems to indicate that he has reached an overwhelming existential crisis. At this point he appears to resemble the condemned anti-hero of Camus' The Stranger, who positively revels in the meaninglessness of life and is thus apparently uncaring about his own fate. The lack of love here is used as a powerful representation of a dearth of inspiration, which to a poet is a kind of spiritual death. Through the narrator's hollow eyes we see lovers in the meadow and silhouettes in the window. The singer tells us, I watch them till they're gone and they leave me hanging on to a shadow. Then we get a wonderfully well-timed explanation of the song's distinctive beat. I'm sick of love, I hear the clock tick. But the paradoxical image of sometimes the silence is like thunder represents the singer's full embrace of life's contradictions. He declares that he will abandon all restraints and morality. Sometimes I want to take to the road and plunder. In later live versions this is changed to sometimes I feel like I'm being ploughed under a very different fate in which any kind of control is lost. He tries his hardest to purge the memory of his sick love. Any faith he may have had in her has been thoroughly shaken. Could you ever be true, he muses, I think of you and I wonder. We are then presented with what we think may be the final denouement. I'm sick of love, I wish I'd never met you. 
I'm sick of love. I'm trying to forget you. But then there is a final twist as Dylan adds a short coda, just don't know what to do, which concludes after a dramatic pause in the admission that I'd give anything to be with you. The hypnotic beat fades into the background. It seems that the narrator has been mocking us all along, playing hard to get. He may be sick of love, but of course he is still entrapped by it. The song both celebrates and bemoans this universal dilemma. Lovesick was performed many hundreds of times in the succeeding decades. It provided a highly dramatic musical contrast during Dylan's crooning years. Its mood becomes increasingly cathartic, with the arrangements pushing towards new melodramatic limits. Yet its excoriating examination of romantic disillusionment is also leavened by an underlying suggestion of self-deprecating humour. It eloquently demonstrates Dylan's understanding of the transformative power of the blues. Despite the overwrought emotional angst that the song conveys, its anticlimactic conclusion contains a very strong element of self-mockery. A few years after its initial release, a re-recorded version was used in a Victoria's Secret commercial, in which Dylan made a personal appearance. In this bizarre artefact, he's surrounded by slinky, seductive models clad in very expensive lingerie, while he skulks like a cackling Don Juan in the background. There was much speculation as to why he had accepted this assignment, which hardly boosted any residual image he might have as the voice of a generation. He was accused, of course, of selling out to commercial interests. Perhaps he really had decided to take to the road and plunder. Maybe he was just trying to show us that the song really had just been one big tease. Okay, and this is the extract about Spirit on the Water. Spirit on the Water, from modern times, is expressed through the tender whisper of an ageing crooner. In its amiable and self-deprecatingly humorous depiction of a desperate older man begging for sexual favours from an alluring younger woman, it's reminiscent of several late-period Leonard Cohen songs. Both Dylan and Cohen deal with the problems that ageing brings with self-deprecating wit. They both use addresses to women as ways of addressing their own spiritual desires, thus hoping to remain in touch with the sources of their inspiration. Cohen had played the part of romantic seducer with great eloquence in his earlier work, but by the time of I'm Your Man in 1988, as he contemplates his late middle age, he turns to professing his lust with comic desperation. He insists he will do anything his young lover asks him, even to the extent of telling her that if she wants to turn tricks on the street, he will disappear for her. He completes his self-humiliation by declaring that I'd crawl to you, baby, and I'd fall at your feet. I'd howl at your beauty like a dog on heat. Dylan's narrator never gets quite that desperate, and his concerns are, at least on the surface, more ethereal. He begins by referencing the first few lines of Genesis. Spirit on the water, darkness on the face of the deep, taking us into the moments before creation. The music rolls in a steady tempo with deep, subdued double bass, delicate brushes on the drums, gently tinkling piano and tasteful snatches of violin and guitar. It is as if the singer's spirit is indeed hovering over the surface of the primordial ocean, gliding in air in the moment before creation. His heart, it seems, is light. He is in love, 
besotted with some young princess. He can hardly sleep. You've got a face that begs for love, he sighs. Yet it's clearly him who's doing the begging. Using well-worn blues imagery, a sly sexual innuendo, he employs her to put some sugar in my bowl. I feel like lying down. Need a Little Sugar in My Bowl is a song recorded by Bessie Smith in 1931, in which she tells us that I need a little sugar in my bowl, I need a little hot dog between my rolls, which could hardly be more explicit. Dylan's plea is also a straightforward come on, but the cool, resigned delivery of the lines conjures up a world weariness which suggests that, despite his apparent lustfulness and vigour, a lie-down is really all he needs. Certainly it's all he's likely to get. He pictures himself fading away, the substance of his body becoming like mist and shadow. I'm as pale as a ghost, he sighs, holding a blossom on a stem. He's not even offering her flowers, but something incomplete, faded and barely even visible. Though he tells her that he can't believe these things could ever fade from your mind, we can be sure that they will. The narrator is ready to confess his deep devotion, to express his humility and to give thanks for the sheer privilege of being allowed merely to exist in the presence of his beloved. In reality, of course, it's likely that the princess will use him and discard him, yet he is determined to make the most of what he has been offered. He seems to revel in every moment. He insists that he can't explain the sources of his hidden pain. So, assuming the traditional role of the self-effacing, martyred lover, if I can't have you, he breathes, I'll throw my love into the deep blue sea. But we are never really convinced that he is experiencing genuine pain. Like a true romantic fool, he tells her, life without you doesn't mean a thing to me. In fact, we can only pity him as the evidence accumulates that she is manipulating him for her own ends. You do good all day, you do wrong all night. We can almost see the tears of joy mingled with the inevitable disappointment. The lines, when you're with me, I'm a thousand times happier than I could say, are delivered with cute nonchalance, as is, what does it matter what price I pay? Although the singer may wish to dismiss his own suffering, trying to make us believe that just spending any time in her presence makes the humiliation he must face bearable, the lightness of his tone betrays him. The pleas now become increasingly hopeless. He tells her he will accept any humiliation to be with her and begins to dream of a kind of eternal union which might extend even beyond the grave. Yet the strange confession in the penultimate verse that he cannot join her in paradise because I killed a man back there with its odd echo of Johnny Cash's iconic line in Folsom Prison Blues I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die suggests that he considers himself as a miserable sinner unworthy of her. Perhaps, as in every grain of sand, he's identifying himself with Cain, the slayer of his brother Abel in the Genesis story, who is condemned to walk the earth thereafter but can never escape the consequences of his mortal sin. Yet he ends the song with jaunty confidence, suggesting that even without this paradisical union, they could still have a whomping good time together. They could have their own moments of creation with her spirit moving over his dark waters to create a flash of blinding, inspirational light. The narrator's flower of youth may have faded, but he is still holding that fragile blossom on a stem, dreaming of eternal bliss. 
Here Dylan brings great assurance and optimism to his skillful manipulation of the conventions of the romantic song. Behind each sighing gasp of despair there is a touch of ironic likeness, a sense that he has been liberated from the hidden pain that love so often brings. It is hard not to read the final lines as a message to his listeners about his continued vitality. Indeed, when audiences become familiar with the first lines of the final verse, they respond to the possible rhetorical questions, you think I'm over the hill? You think I'm past my prime? By cheering or shouting a resounding no! Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. A um, couple of extracts from Determined to Stand, Reinvention of Bob Dylan by me, uh, Chris Gregory, which you can get a copy of by visiting my website, chrisgregory.org. So again, if you've enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe and then you'll find out when the next podcast is coming up. Any feedback, gratefully received.